it is far better to be guilty and rich than to be poor and innocent. Did you know 90% of women prior to incarceration has suffered from sexual and emotional trauma? And 70% of incarcerated women are mothers? The majority of the women returning home will not be able to retain employment with family sustainable income. Fit to Navigate provides hope and well-being. Learn more at fittonavigate.com. What's up? It's Rocky. And we'd like to welcome back all our mind-body tumors. We recognize it's been a while and we're super excited to bring about our season three. Season three, we're going to talk about the community and how it affects women that have been formerly incarcerated or who are now out and trying to get back on their feet. We're excited to have some great guests this season. And we look forward to spreading more and telling the story of how people overcome. You know, the whole thing is you get your mind right, your body will follow, and you become that gem that you are designed and destined to be. No more of this attention destiny disorder. We are well on our way and looking forward to our season three. Today, we are talking with Kisten Palmore, a professional in the criminal justice system. She's been in it for about 15 plus years. And uh, we met Kisten at a meeting where we were trying to change the wellness of the institution system and things like that. And we recognized that she was a mover and a shaker. And we thought, wow, we would love to have her on our team. So welcome. Kristen Palmore, how are you today? Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm cool. I'm cool. I mean, like, I'm, I can't believe you even asked me, right? I mean, I just do, I just do what I do. You know, I don't consider myself to be an expert. I mean, I just do what I love. Which yeah. Not a lot of people get to do that, right? So I figure I have a, I have a vocation and a, and a career rather than uh, a job. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the criminal justice field. Well, I came around it in a very crazy roundabout securitist kind of way. I started out in an undergrad as a criminal justice major just by mistake. I was the first, actually ended up being the first graduate of uh, criminology at Capital University. But I started out as a, as a econ major. And uh, I knew very early on that that was not going to be my profession. I got my quiz back and it was like, I don't even know how you get a negative. There's not even 10 questions on the, on the quiz and I got a negative, I don't know, 200. I was like, oh, yeah. So I walked myself down to the, uh, my career counselor and was like, yeah, this is not for me. The economic, uh, the like, economic. Well, yeah, it was not my bad, right? I mean, everybody, everybody got their something, and that was not mine. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so she was like, "Well, you know, you're taking a whole lot of classes in sociology. Why don't you, uh, why don't you do sociology?" I was like, "Okay." So I started out doing sociology, and then they got a criminology major and criminal justice major in there. So I started on that track, 
But it wasn't really until the last decade and a half that I found myself working in this field. I, I have done social work. <laughs> I worked child protective services in Hawaii. I uh, came back and worked. And then uh, just happenstance after working for corporate and got downsized in, uh, in 2008, took a job. Basically, actually, I volunteered and did some consulting work with uh, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections okay. just so I could hone, hone my skills because I was like sitting at home trying to wait for a job to come up. I'm losing valuable time and skills. So I wait, decided, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You started out by just volunteering? Started out just by volunteering. Yes. Wow. No, you know, a lot of people don't know that that's the way. That's a great way to get yourself in the door. So go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. I just got excited about that. Yeah, yeah, because I was just, you know, I was sitting at home putting in applications and, you know, doing interviews, going to interviews. But I realized that if I continue to do this, that, you know, my my skills in Microsoft and my skills and uh, just social networking and skills and working and understanding a field were getting rusty. And so I saw that um, my master's degree in public policy, I was talking to our career counselor and she was like, well, you know, there's an internship that's available with the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. She was mm-hmm. like, she was like, why, why don't you see if you could get that? And so I did. And they wrote back and said, well, you know, this is really, you know, for an intern. And I said, well, I can be your intern. Right. They were like, well, we're looking for somebody who's in, in college. I was like, well, if you don't have anybody, I was like, how long has this been open? They were like, well, quite a, quite a while. I said, well, I'll be your intern. All right. They were like, well, we don't pay our interns. And I was like, I'm not getting paid now. (laughs) But I need to hone up my skills. Right. right? So, and at that same time, I got a job uh, teaching at OSU as an instructor uh, teaching social work policy because I'm a policy wonk. Okay. Okay. You really, really want to be Really, if you want to have a, an overview and a real uh, broad brush and understanding of criminal justice, you got to understand policy. And you got to understand how policies are made and who policies are made for, who the beneficiaries are, who wins and who loses. Um, you actually got to have a seat at the table. Well, you know, and sometimes you don't get that seat at the table. You got to bring your own table. You know, as Shirley Chisholm used to say, well, if you don't get the seat at the, at the table, you bring your own folding chair. I want to take it even further. Karen Hunter, who I watched a lot on Sirius XM and, um, and watching her broadcast on YouTube, she says, well, she wants to build her own table. And that's what I'm talking about, right? Wow. Let's build our own table. Because it's obvious that having a seat at the table doesn't necessarily always mean we all get, always get fed. We may be sitting at the table, but we may not be eating. And if we are eating, we may not be eating the same thing that everybody else is eating. So maybe Absolutely. it's about time for us to have our own our own table, our own chairs, and our own food, right? And so, you know, from there, uh, an opportunity came out to, to work at the county as a reentry coordinator. And I was like, reentry? 
Okay. I don't so know. Explain what, that. I mean, explain, so, explain that. What is the reentry coordinator? Reentry is the opportunity for individuals who are coming back from um, correctional institutions to have a fair share of coming back into the community uh, and being successful and not going back. Does it look like halfway houses or does that look like, you know, a place where there's wraparound services? Explain that to us a little bit more. So, I mean, that's, it's a philosophy, right? Reentry is not a program. It is not a moment in time. It's a philosophy. And, to, um, and a true reentry, if you really want to have true reentry and you want to work in reentry, then it starts the day that a person enters their correctional in the criminal justice system, not even a correctional facility, the criminal justice system, wow. right? And it's about, it's preparing a place for them when they come home. So, so wait, it includes, so pause right there. So what you're saying yeah. is, it starts from the time that you are convicted of something, reentry does. Exactly. Not at yeah. the time you actually get behind bars, but actually. No, you're okay. convicted. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right. So, so because at that particular point in time, I mean, like, ideally, I mean, philosophically, that's when it should start. Okay. Practically, um, does it start there? No. Mm-hmm. Um, theoretically, it should start there. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually it starts the time that a person walks into a correctional facility, ideally. Right. Right. When a person walks into a correctional facility, we're only looking at a handful, a, a low percentage. You're looking at nine, 7% of all people who commit crimes and go to prison mm-hmm. and not jails. Jails are something else. Jails and prisons are not the same. Okay, just give me um, a me break it down just for the audience just a little bit. What? Just yeah, so in Ohio. Differences. Yeah, so in Ohio, if you are convicted of a crime that you have a sentence that is less than a year, then you may serve that sentence in jail. Okay. If it's if it's more than a year, philosophically, you go to prison. So, you know, and reentry can start from the time you don't have to necessarily like if you have a a sentence of six to eight months. Yeah. Ideally, the jail should be working with you to make sure that when you come out of jail, you have opportunities to be successful in the community. And that could look like wraparound services, as you, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that means that if you had some medical issues while you, when you went into jail, right. You get, um, Medicaid, right. So you get a presumptive eligibility. That means that we presume that you're eligible based on certain eligibility criteria that you meet. And that means that you don't, you may have no income, which is usually the situation when people right. go into into uh, jails or prison, you may have a disability and you may be of the age of 65 and older. But mostly with Medicaid expansion, it means that you have zero income. So Paul's right. right. So whose responsibility is it to make sure that, uh, or who does it fall upon to make sure that when people re-enter that these sources or resources are there for them. <laughs> People going to hate me when I say this, mm-hmm. but it's the community's responsibility. Absolutely. We, always wanna, 
we want to put it on somebody else and we want to say that it is the institution, that it's their responsibility, but it's not. It, it, it relies, it is the community's responsibility. I mean, because um, really you think about it, who do you want to be your neighbor when you get it, when they get it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a comment upon the community mm-hmm. to come together to make sure that there are opportunities for individuals to be successful, that they don't go back. And yes, we can work together with government and nonprofit organizations to stand up opportunities and resources for individuals, but it really relies on the community, everyone. You know, if Dr. Gray Carr always likes to say, says the African problem, or if everybody does a little, then nobody has to do a lot. True. Right. I like that. So, and so if we, if we as a community come together and I'm not talking about doing a, doing a Herculean task, but just doing what, you know, each one teach one to his or her ability. And so each one gives what they can to his or her ability. So, you know, if you have a weld, if you know how to weld and you have a, you're ready to have a, um, a welding company, Maybe you set aside a couple of spots to have an apprenticeship so that individuals who are interested in welding can come in and learn how to weld. And now they build their own building, just like they build their own capital. They learn this trade and now they have their own company, just like what you were doing with Fit to Navigate, right? Yeah, if, absolutely. I was going to say, we got one better. We got one better. Like, how about, yeah. you know, you get, you get certified and we you train them to become entrepreneurs, fitness professionals, where they take care of themselves and allow them a family sustainable income. And what you know, exactly. And what you know, we specifically, you know, work with women in doing, in doing such a thing. So with that being said, like, how does gender impact the criminal justice system? Let's talk about that. Well, wow. There's a whole study on, on uh, and gender and the criminal justice system. You know, um, if you look back historically, when we, were, when we were talking about women in crime, the criminal justice system, because of this, because of the patriarchy of our society, oftentimes treat women harsher than they treat men, right? Women are the nurturers. Women are the ones that are supposed to stay home and take care of the family. And how dare you be taken out of your, away from your family? You do something purposely to get yourself in the bind and get bound up. And now you are taken out of the family and now you can't provide for your children, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of the fact that your avenue into uh, the criminal justice system is often precipitated by something that you are doing for your spouse, your male spouse. Uh, right? mm-hmm. I'm not saying that everyone's avenue, every female's avenue, every woman's avenue into the criminal justice system is paid by their affinity. But there's a large number. number. There's a large number. There's an extremely large number. <laughs> right. Um, you know that that ride or die and, you know, or, you know, exactly. call it, you know, I'm, I'm a stand by my man or stand by my person type of thing. Yeah. Oh, yes, a- absolutely. Think about prior to us now having these, these laws that deal with um, human sex trafficking, right? Okay. 
in order for that to happen for the majority, I'm not saying that, that all sex trafficking is happening by men, but the majority and historically sex trafficking happened by men. And usually, right. or drug trade, right? You, for instance, and this is a totally different situation, but the issue with Breonna Taylor, right? So we have a situation where her boyfriend was her ex-boyfriend, not her current boyfriend, but her ex-boyfriend was a person of interest. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Even though they should, they had broken up, but they alleged that there were packages being dropped off at her home that they they also alleged was um, that had some drugs in there. Okay. But there were nothing but clothes in there. But had that had that search warrant been successful and she had not been killed, the likelihood that she would she would have been arrested was high because they were believing that she was aiding and abetting. Now, but like yeah. now after everything folded out, I don't know how, how that would have come to bear, but yes, she would have been arrested, right? Because she was alleged to be receiving packages for her boyfriend. So basically, and just to sum it all up, that women are treated harsher in the criminal justice system as opposed to men. So that, that would explain why in the last 20 or so years, there's been a 400% increase of women being incarcerated. Is that correct? Correct. And, and you have to realize that majority of our correctional facilities were not built with women in mind. They were built on the basis of what it looks for a male correctional facility, right? Right. So that... Even though Ohio, you know, ORW, Ohio uh, Department of Ohio Women's Reformatory for Women mm-hmm. was created specifically for women. However, it was built on a model that was done in the blueprints for men. Right. right? Exactly. But they just oh. put women in there. They didn't make it for for women, like thinking like, oh we should make it for women in mind. We just build the same building and just say, we're going to put women in there. All right. Uh, so, yeah. So there, basically, there's little, little to no attention given to women or girls in most conversations for criminal justice reform. Is no. that I mean, only in the last 20 years, the premier expert in, in this is Dr. Covington. Uh, mm-hmm. And she does a lot of research and has curriculum that is primarily focused on, you know, gender responsiveness in the prison system, right? In corrections. There are the ways in which women come in into the prison system is always 90, well, 95% of the time um, relational. There's a relationship. Okay. And that is very, um, because women are very relation oriented. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I agree with that. And part of the fit to navigate thing is to build, you know, to grow. We we believe that relationships are your currency, right? And you know, we're we're grateful that the ORW allowed us to, you know, start our program, or that was where we started our program because they were progressive enough to have different types of programs for these women, and that's how we got started at the ORW with fit to navigate. So with yeah. that said, that, that, that's, 
only happened in a short period of time. Like you just said, like before that, there was little to no attention because everything was based upon, you know, a male facility. Like San Quentin has basically a lot of programs to make sure that they reform their male, their male counterparts, right? Right, right. So, I mean, like when ORW was built in 1800s, I mean, over they, did, <laughs> they did build like a facility so that, um, that women could sew, right? They used to make flags out of ORW and they still have a, a section where women can sew. We are, we are so much more than, than that. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, but I mean, like you have to think about the, the times of, of the day, right? In which the, right. the institution was built. Right, right. Domesticity, you know, uh, domestic yes. work was what women did, right? So putting in a sewing, and you know, but the ORW has you can sew, you can make eyeglasses. You know, there are a lot of things that uh, ORW is now doing that um, were not thought about when the institution was built, and there are a lot of things that they have been doing in the last 20 years when they started making sure that the curriculum was gender specific, right? Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, because not every woman wants to come out doing welding and construction work or necessarily cleaning, you know? No, <laughs> no. no. And so that seems to be like a lot of the things, and I'm not knocking those fields or anything like that, but that's that's just a very narrow-minded way of thinking that all women who have been justice involved, like these are the three options that they had, right? Yeah, it, it's quite difficult to get the you know corporate America, white-collar America, to really embrace individuals who have been incarcerated. The justice-involved population, male or female, right? right? It's quite easy to place individuals who have past criminal record into jobs that are manual labor, right? Mm -hmm. But to really to, to have people in offices and to have people in management that were in the white collar jobs, those are just, just not. Um, one of the things that they're extremely, number one reason is because they're fearful that they're going to be sued for liability, right? They, right. they claim that the, the insurance companies will raise their rates and because they may be accused of negligent hiring. Uh-huh. Um, if for something if for some reason something goes wrong. And that's the reason where the you know certificate of employability employability say that um, <laughs> say that fast. <laughs> I know, right? CQE, the certificate of qualification for employability is so vital to individuals. It allows individuals to get hired in these spaces and it provides immunity from negligent hiring for individuals who have provide second chance opportunities for individuals with uh, with a criminal record history. So Ohio is the only one that has that. What's so funny that you say second chances is just about how many people don't believe that just because you've had injustice involved that you, be, that you deserve another chance. 
I mean, you can see yeah. at the present time in the administration is there, like how many people, white males, are getting second chances. <laughs> oh, but see, but that's always the case, right? So it is far better to be guilty and rich than to be poor and innocent. Ooh, fire. Because, and, and that, that's not me, that's uh, Brian Stevenson dropping that knowledge because it's far more likely for you to, one, if you, are, if you are poor and innocent, then you know, if you spend one day, if you have a job that's a labor, a day labor, a job, you spend one day in jail, you you're lost fired. your job. Yeah, you're fired. Absolutely, absolutely. And the likelihood that you're going to come up, be able to post your bail is, you know, if you're working day labor and you're working hand to mouth, you're not going to be able to come up with that, with that bail money. So that means you have to stay in jail until your, your trial comes about. And then you've got continuances and people go on vacation. And then you are at the mercy of you know, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, and the judge as to when your trial come up. Yeah, exactly. We say that we, you know, you have a right to a speedy trial, but that trial could last. You could be in jail for a year and not be convicted. Wow. So, right. Yeah. That's why pre-trial, is, pre-trial justice is so important. You know, it's that reducing or eliminating bails for people who are not high risk. If you know that the person won, it's not going to be a risk to public. They're not going to have scone. They're not going to not show up. Then release them on their own recognizance and have them come back. They're not going to skip town. The likelihood that they're going to get their passport and skip to Bora Bora <laughs> is few and far between. Absolutely. So that that costs society money, right? Because <laughs> we're right. You know, Look at all the people you gotta you gotta feed them. Yeah. You gotta house them. Yeah. The cost of them, the going back and transporting them back and forth to jail, from from jail to the courthouse. Somebody has to do that. Then so with that, all, being, with that all being said, with that all being said, then why wouldn't we feel that it's our responsibility? We're paying for it anyway, so why wouldn't we feel that it's our responsibility as a community to make sure that these reentry programs and things like that are there? Oh wow. Okay, <laughs> so, well, we got to go to this the Judeo-Christian concept of retribution, and um, yeah, it's all about retribution, right? Okay. And people paying. We say that we are a society built on forgiveness, but we're not. Right. And you can see that. You can see that when we're talking about individuals who are justice involved, right? It's all about paying for your crime. It's all about retribution and, and, and getting even, right? Right. And when did that ever happen? Because you never can go, you can never re- rewind time. Right. Right. So how does that happen? So so it's really hard to get people out of that out of that mindset to be truly forgiven. We say that we're forgiven, but when the when the rubber hits the road, we're not. Right. We're not. And so we have these concepts of ex-cons. We have this ex-felons. We have, you know, we put labels on people and that brings a connotation of, and then we have the media who 
continues to perpetuate this. And then we just have a way in which society has just believed that once you've, once you have violated the social contract, Mm -hmm. um, that you are no longer allowed to be back in the space again. Right. It comes from when you're looking at, you know, prior to when you're looking at Romans, the the last thing that that anybody wanted to do was to be exiled, right. To be taken away from your family and your home and your society and your community. That's a fate worse than death, but we do it all the time. We remove people from their, their family, from their community, um, and place them in human warehouses. Mm -hmm. And then we, believe that on top of that we should not make these institutions humane right Right. that we should punish continue to punish while they're already being punished punishment is being exiled and not being placed in your in your prison there was someone uh, in an administration administration at uh, the at ORW who said, you know, just, and it wasn't really for, for what I would deem a, a huge thing. It was just basically like, you know, these women need to remain humble. And I'm thinking like, how much more humility can you possibly have? Like you said, first of all, exile from your families, but then like they're excited because they are achieving something on their own. And you want to take that away as a way of humbling them. You know, it's a get ready to rain. <laughs> it's a different monster. It's a different monster. Uh, so we, yeah, I just want to wrap this up real, really quick. And um, I know that you are very involved in the community with First Step. And I would like you to share more about, you know, you were about with the First Step and how you were key in, in getting that going. And just also, like, if you could just name the couple ways that the community can help with re-entering someone who's been justice involved oh wow so um first step is a in the is a concept it was um come together uh between the Ohio department of rehabilitation and corrections uh, the franklin county office of justice policy and programs and the um adult parole authority with within the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction as a joint venture to really provide wraparound services to make sure that community services, nonprofit organizations, for-profit organizations that were there, be the mental mental health, employment opportunities, behavioral health, religious organizations, um, education, post-secondary, Education with the you know Columbus State, as well as assisting with the Education Alliance to ensure that individuals who were adults who needed their GD and true uh, focus on getting people back into the employed in the community to take care of themselves and their family and to lift up their communities and and the greater part Columbus right and Franklin County. Um, and so it was the idea of, you know, this is your first step. You know, a hundred mile or a million mile journey begins with the first step. And this was your first step in the right direction. 
to make sure that you were successfully reintegrated into the community. And as far as what the community can do, yeah, um, a couple things, you know, just well, one is is open up your heart and your mind and view um, individuals coming out of the institution with compassion. They are mothers. They are fathers, they are sisters, brothers, uncles, and aunts. They are not monsters. And we can't judge people by the worst thing that they've ever done in their whole entire life. Because people are more than that. We're not just that one thing. We're many things. Right. Um, and, and something tangible, I would say, if you're a church-going person, find out if your church has a, a reentry ministry. And if they don't, start one. If you live in the community and go to Urban League and, and donate, if you have clothes, donate clothes to um, Urban League. They have a uh, My Brother's Closet and donate clothes to My Brother's Closet. If you have a company, if you own your own company, open up a, an opportunity for people to, to become apprentices so they can learn a trade and so that they can um, get certified in whatever trade that is and so that they can build up their own business to become self-sustaining uh, and self-sufficient. Love that. Teach so those are, yes, each one teach one. Yeah. Right. So that we, we can, we have to, we, we have to stop villainizing people in our own community because the reality is that disproportionately the number of folks who are in prison rightly or wrongly are brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. They're African-Americans people of color indigenous and brown folks right and we can ill afford to have throw away people in our societies we all need to come together um this is a this is a time of crisis and there's no us and them absolutely it is we are one people and the sooner we can come together to understand that the better off we are as a community Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. I really appreciate appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise and your experience, first of all. I mean, and um, we are so grateful to have you as part of our program and a way of, of excellent resource for us. So again, thank you for being part of this and sharing this and spreading love and all of that. We look forward to doing another podcast with you on Mind Body Gym. Okay. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to tune into Mind Body Gym, a conversational podcast. This podcast was designed with the mission to fund women's freedom via fitness. Special shout out to our strong supporters, especially the Love You Give Project. Check out their merch. It helps us support our podcast and our feature organization, Fit to Navigate. If you're interested in hearing more about our mission, follow us on IG at Fit to Navigate. Thank you for the fam that we have that has supported us. Eric Jefferson for the artwork, his wife, my sister songstress, Renee Dion, and her tunes, Wilderness, and Natalie McCray Cross, the photographer for our album cover. We really appreciate all the support and all the strength that we get from you. Remember, until next time, forward is always the pace. Yeah. Hey. Need a limb
for listening. If you like what you heard today, make sure to like and review this podcast. Also, make sure to share this episode. Lastly, subscribe so you'll be notified of our next episode. Thank you and have a blessed day. What's up, Mind Body Gemmers? I would like to hear more from you. So I'd like for you to text me at 614-808-8566. I'd like to collaborate more about what our listeners would like to hear more of from our guests and just hear what you think about the podcast. Again, text me 614-808-8566. Let's do this thing. Did you know 90% of women prior to incarceration has suffered from sexual and emotional trauma and 70% of incarcerated women are mothers? The majority of the women returning home will not be able to retain employment with family sustainable income. Fit to Navigate provides hope and well-being. Learn more at fittonavigate.com.